1: Of course, a special welcome to those of you who are joining us online or in the bonus room right now. And if you're uh, online, thanks for coming. We're so glad that you joined us in this way. If you're here for the first time today, I want to invite you into relationship. We'd love to get to know you more after the gathering at the back. Or if you're online, you can fill out the connecting card at our website. Now, first of all, I have some business to settle with you guys. I have an opportunity to thank you. Many of you joined us last week for my ordination ceremony. <laughs> All right. Oh, stop. <laughs> you know, it, I, I was just so deeply touched by your outpouring of love and support, and it was a special moment for Dom and I, and so we we're just so appreciative of that, and we won't forget that day. You affirmed me, and you blessed me, in my calling as a pastor, And so I want to say thank you, Crosspoint. Sincerely, thank you. You've been so good to me and so patient. And so it's an honor and a pleasure to serve you. So thank you. Also, today I have a unique opportunity to invite some of you into a deeper fellowship with us at Crosspoint because we love to see people come to know God and to be known, to grow in maturity in Christ and to share a gospel-centered community, to serve our neighbors, to share the love of Christ with the lost. And most of that does not happen during our Sunday gatherings like that. That happens at Crosspoint most of the time in a home group. So I want to make sure I invite you to our special Home Group Connect event after the gathering. It's in the gymnasium. Be really relaxed. And what it is is an opportunity to talk to home group leaders uh, about group life. And so if you, you've been considering a home group and you're just not quite sure about it yet, this is an opportunity to take the first step. Now, if you haven't thought about home groups at all and you're just kind of looking for more out of life, this is a great. it doesn't hurt to get more information. So it's a great opportunity for you as well. So that's after the gathering in the gymnasium, and our leaders who have room for you at the table, uh, online or in person, would love to chat with you. Now, today isn't part of our our usual message uh, teaching series. Instead, I want to encourage you in your faith during hard times like these, especially to seek God In hard times and always in every season so if you have your Bibles or your devices I'm gonna get you to turn to Habakkuk chapter 1 Habakkuk chapter 1 isn't that a mouthful and so if you if you want your sermon notes today you can find them at the crosspointchurch.ca slash notes but if you're flipping through your Bible today Habakkuk is near the middle it's not in the New Testament still in the Old Testament it's one of the shorter books I'll let you turn over there, starting in chapter 1. And so let me tell you something. We don't know much about Habakkuk, but we can all relate to his words so very well, and so that's why I'm bringing this word to you today. Let me tell you what we do know about him, though. Habakkuk was a prophet, and so prophets acted as God's mouthpieces, hearing from God and speaking to his people. And the Lord laid this burden on him, and... A burden that we can come to know all too well. He lived in the southern kingdom of Judah during the reign of King Josiah, during the latter part of his reign. And so by the way that Habakkuk strings together dialogue, poetry, and and song, we could guess that he was some sort of worship leader or temple musician. He had experience with a stringed instrument of some kind. But the truly unique thing about Habakkuk's prophecy is its form. The book of Habakkuk is a conversation with God on behalf of the people of God. A conversation that we wish we could all have. And so while most prophets hear from God and speak for God to the people, the oracle of Habakkuk reveals something that we can come, all come to know for ourselves, which is a deeply intimate and unconditional relationship with God. Because God is someone you can know. Someone you can approach, someone you can bring your questions to. How many of you have questions for God right now? Yeah, I see those hands. Thank you. You guys are awake. We all have a list of questions that we would love to bring to God, don't we? For example, is cereal really just cold soup? You be the judge. Honestly. Okay. Even better. How could a loving God create cats? There are just some things we will never understand. Cats. God love them. Um, The most of all, the question that we're all dealing with right now is why? Really deep down, it's why God? And so this is the big question that Habakkuk brings to God. Why God? And so let's read his conversation with God together, starting in chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 2, because we know this is already an oracle, we've covered that. But in verse 2, this is what Habakkuk says to the Lord. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted." Wow, eh? It's heavy. Question for you today, how do you hold it together when everything around you is falling apart? Think about it. What do you do when your children are hurting? What do you do when good people are being cheated and abused? What do you do when you've lost your job? Or when you see bad people getting ahead uninterrupted? What do you do when you feel like there's no way out, there's no hope and no future? Have you felt that way? Some of you. And so Habakkuk was watching the southern kingdom of Judah fall to pieces. It was near the end of King Josiah's reign, and the glory days of his reforms were over, and the war was inside, and it was outside. Wicked kings circled the throne. Violence and cheating broke out in the streets. The people were full of pride, back in love with their idols. They were fighting, contentious and divided. And not only that, but the kingdom of Judah was always surrounded. And now ruthless enemies were emerging from the north, the dreaded Babylonians. What would we do in this situation? We might grasp for control. We might just give up, lay down, all is lost. And there's all these things in between on that spectrum. But most of all, we really just want to understand why. What are you doing, God? Where are you? And so maybe you can relate to that right now. You know, I think many of us have questions at this point in the pandemic. With all that's transpired in the past two years, on top of that, we're asking God, why? And so perhaps you're thinking and you're sharing Habakkuk's cry. You're thinking about the last two years and you think to yourself, how long, O oh Lord? How long will this last? Why is this happening to me? Why in my lifetime? Why do I get the pleasure of this? And so you see violence and injustice, fighting and division, and you want to know what God is doing. And so the truth is, like Habakkuk, we all wrestle with two forces outside of ourselves during hard times. And the first is God's timing and God's ways. So let's talk about God's timing. We struggle with God's timing. People struggle to patiently wait right now, more than any other time in history. Think about it. We have fast food. We have prime delivery. The internet, the fastest means of travel in existence at this point. And so since the light bulb and industrialization, we can't even take the time to sleep anymore. But all of that was interrupted two years ago. Now we have been waiting for everything. Have you tried to order something internationally or from overseas lately? I'm still waiting for some things. (laughs) Have a keyboard? I don't know what it's gonna get here. Do you remember the toilet paper wars and the produce shortages? I do. Waiting in the grocery store lines and for lockdowns to end. But, you know, what God has really been teaching me lately is to be more patient. You know, Dom and I have three small children, and we are always, always waiting. Waiting patiently for our toddlers as they eat so painfully slow. Have you watched a toddler eat? As they dress and potty train, as they process and they grow. It's beautiful, but it's so slow. And sometimes when I lose my patience, I know I'm rushing right past something so important, an important conversation and a revelation or an opportunity for discipline or a teaching moment, an opportunity for unconditional love and affirmation for my child. And the truth is, I'm realizing that is there is no better time or day to be with them than right now, right now, to be there for them. And if we're not careful, we can rush right through things and miss the richness of those relationships. Sometimes we can hardly wait. It's something we all struggle with, and so it's no wonder we have a hard time with God's timing. So many of us echo Habakkuk's words in verse 2, How long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Are you even there? Have you felt that way lately? Well, let me tell you something really important today God is never late, and He is always working. Remember what the Apostle Peter said. He said that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. But he is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish. But that all should reach repentance. God is not slow. He is patient towards us. Can you believe that? We're the ones being impatient. But he is working in his own time for our good. But the question is... If God is at work, what exactly is he doing? So let's get back to chapter 1, starting with verse 5. God answers Habakkuk. He says, Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, otherwise known as the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. And so in other words, the Lord says to Habakkuk, open your eyes. You wouldn't believe everything that I am doing right now if I told you. And I'm going to use your enemies, those evil and prideful Babylonians, to judge the wicked and make things right. Would you just trust me? So Habakkuk Tries his best to respond to the Lord. He's just a little messed up, starting uh, with verse 12, if we skip a little bit ahead, because he's got a lot to say. We know he's long-winded. Verse 12, he says this. You know, he's, he's, he's this mixed bag, bag of emotions, of slurry, of contempt, faith, and doubt. And so he trails off in a bouquet of poetic complaint, bouncing from faith to doubt and doubt to faith. But this is interesting, Habakkuk never walks away. And so he says to the Lord, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes then to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So you can kind of tell in the dialogue here with Habakkuk that he's having a hard time believing what he's hearing. He's thinking, this is your plan? Really? You're going to use this wicked nation, all this hardship and brutality for good? Aren't you eternal? Aren't you holy? How can you do things this way? Have you felt like that lately? See, the truth is that we struggle with God's ways. He is working, but His agenda does not require our strategy. His purposes are not thwarted by evil days and wicked ways. His plans don't require our understanding, but just our trust. But this makes God unpredictable, uncontainable, and bigger than most of us can handle. If we're honest, if we're really honest today, we have a problem with that because God is overwhelming us. You know, years ago, when when Dom and I first got married, I had the overwhelming pleasure of putting together a bunch of new furniture for our first apartment. You've been there. And I had to put together the infamous billy shelf. Some of you are familiar with it. The one that I bought at a ridiculous price at this noisy big box store, I think you know the one I'm talking about. They always come prepackaged in like three billion pieces. And if you go through the agony, if you actually go through the agony of putting them together, it just falls apart one year later. And you might think I'm being a little dramatic, but the true nightmare for me was that when I had all the parts, but I didn't have any instructions. So without instructions, I could only guess how this furniture all fit together. And in the end, my shelf was crooked, it was shaky, and I still had five screws left over. Isn't that the worst? Five screws. Five loose screws. You know, our lives are a lot like our old Billy shelf. There aren't always instructions. And our lives are a lot more complex than that. We don't know everything, we aren't everywhere, there are more unknowns than we care to admit, and we don't know how all the pieces fit together. But we try desperately to jam square pegs into the circular slots in our lives. Just so we can make sense of it all. We strive for control and we won't settle for anything less than certainty, but we don't really have either, do we? But God is working, and he holds all the pieces, and he knows how they all fit together this morning. So, you know, we might not always be able to see it, but, you know, remember Paul's words. He said, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that purpose is not just to save us, but also to conform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to glorify Himself. And so this is how faith should work itself into our everyday lives. Because faith is not just for salvation. It's much more than that. Faith is not about figuring everything out and understanding how everything works and how it fits together. Faith is not just for good times. Faith is for life right now. And I would challenge you to beware of the good days, the old normal, because they don't require any faith. You know, the truth is, even for myself, is that we've grown accustomed to luxury, for autonomy and freedom. And so if we're not careful, we, we start to believe things that aren't true. We start believing in things like the frontier myth, for example. Let me tell you about the frontier myth. The frontier myth is this fantastical idea that if we leave the boundaries of civilization and the structure of civilization for the freedom of the new frontier,
0: the new frontier,
1: we will be happier, healthier, and more liberated than before. It's the proverbial green grass on the other side of the fence that we all talk about, dream about. It's the old normal and the good old days. However, in the grand scheme of history, we've come to know that usually the good old days are a myth, and the new frontier is often not as good as it appears. And then those who seek answers for their problems in the new frontier just find more problems, don't they? So the truth is today is that when we experience hard times, we need to dig in. And we're not supposed to close our eyes and daydream of better days or get out of Dodge. But instead, we are invited to see what God is doing in our world. Mark Sayers is a pastor at Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. And he says that instead of heading for greener pastures, believers should respond differently. He says this. He says, you actually, in a sense, sit in the mess and complexity of your reality and find that you are less powerful than you think. And then you turn to God in dependence. And so in the scriptures, the wilderness is actually used, in a sense, to teach us because it's really, really hard. And Israel looks for manna and learns to be dependent upon God. So, if they so I think we need to move from a frontier mentality to actually a biblical wilderness mentality. In other words, in hard times, we shouldn't gravitate towards old things. The greener pastures, the green grass we all wish we had. But instead, we should boldly approach the one who holds all things in his hands. And so hard times are an invitation into a life of faithfulness. Habakkuk knew this. He lived this. And so today, the question for us is, what does this look like in the hard times we find ourselves in? So let's read the last section of today's text together. And now, again, we're going to jump to chapter 2, because let's be honest, Habakkuk is a little long-winded. We get it. The Babylonians are the worst. But starting in chapter 2, if you look at verse 1, what does Habakkuk resolve to do? Let's read together. He says, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may r- run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time and hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and it will do- not delay. Behold, His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by faith. See, God proceeds to tell Habakkuk how Babylon would be used, and then they would eventually face judgment and he would make it right. But here's what's important for us today Habakkuk made a choice. To push past his despair and his impatience, to acknowledge that God was at work in ways that he doesn't understand or he couldn't imagine, he was prepared to accept, to embrace God's answer no matter what it was. And what he receives in return is available to all of us today, which is a vision and an invitation. Let's talk about the vision for a second. You know, we aren't like those without hope. We hold fast the promises of God without wavering because we know that he is true to himself and to his word. And so Habakkuk only saw this faint glimmer, a vision of what God was doing. But the complete picture has been revealed to all of us today. And the revelation that I'm talking about is Jesus, his anointed one. The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God revealed that all things were created by him, like Adria said today, through him and for him. And in him all things are held together. Right now we know that Jesus holds all the pieces. He knows all the players. And he will redeem and renew all things in good time. And so what do we do? We put our faith in Jesus. We live by faith like Jesus. So what is Habakkuk calling us to do today? What does that look like for us right now? What can we learn? Well, let me tell you. For the rest of our time this morning, I just want you to consider three faithful practices that we are invited into and to share with God in any season, especially hard times. First, God welcomes us into faithful lament. See, Habakkuk's Conversation is just so bold. He brings his complaints to God because he is distraught by what he sees. Everything around him is falling apart. How long? Do you hear me? Where are you? Will you save us? They're all common phrases, actually, in the Hebrew worship vernacular. And some of us think that complaining to God is out of bounds for believers, but it just ain't so. Not only was it commonplace in ancient worship and the topic of many ancient songs is something that we're invited to return to. And so you might be thinking, how how can lament be faithful? Should cooler heads prevail? Shouldn't we reason our emotions away and live this stoic lifestyle? And I understand those are great objections. I had them myself. We usually try to keep a cool head, don't we? But sometimes lament is this necessary passageway, the staircase to a powerful encounter with the living God. Lament can be the song of ascent, a necessary passageway as we rise from our trouble to meet God. Think about it. How can we approach God if we intend on hiding ourselves from Him? We achieve nothing by hiding our true feelings from Him. Habakkuk shows us that lament is this unique act of faith. He shows us that we can com- confidently enter the presence of God as we are, with our fears, our questions, and our doubts. And if anything, that takes faith. And so the trust that we will re- he will receive us and that he understands us, that is faith. So what makes lament an act of faith? Well, first, lament embraces reality, doesn't it? Habakkuk sees that things as they really are. He doesn't just stick his head in the sand and avoid the truth. He accepts the truth. Things are bad. This is hard, and we are failing. Second, this lament of Habakkuk is vulnerable. It says that, I am weak, I am broken, and things are way out of my control. And through this lament, he turns to God for help. And so finally, and most importantly, this lament is loyal. It says that no matter how I feel, we trust that God is in control. No matter how bad things get, we trust that God is working. And no matter what we say, we know that we are not too much for God. And I think some of you need to hear that today. You are not too much for God. And in the end, even though we don't always like God's timing or His ways we will not walk away from him. And he won't walk away from us. When we embrace faithful lament, we reject something called deism. It's this idea that God is some supreme being somewhere who is uninterested with us. And so when we practice lament, we are saying that God is not distant, unaccessible, and uninterested with us. Instead, we find that God welcomes us with open arms and will hear us out. He doesn't want fearful compliance and isn't disturbed by our cries. He wants a relationship with us. And so unless you live under a rock and you have relationships in your life, you know this to be true. When you hitch your wagon to someone else's life, you get the good, you get the bad, and the ugly tears. Right? Right? And, 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 and relationships, they go sour all the time when things get hard, but we also know that relationships uh, who go through hardship produces a depth that we would not know otherwise. And the same is truth about God. The same is true about God. The truth is this. Without emotional realism, there can be no relational intimacy with God. So bring your anger, your fear and confusion to God. He can really handle it. And he is faithful to answer you. It is in this lament that God invite us, invites us into greater faithfulness. He invites us into the second thing, which is faithful waiting, our favorite thing. Once Habakkuk is done, he is determined, determined to embrace God's answer for his complaints. And so it's normal for us to have questions, and it should be our habit to bring them to God. But maybe you feel like God isn't answering your prayers right now. He isn't responding to your requests. And if you're like me, you probably could spend more time listening for his reply. See, this is what Habakkuk does. He goes to this high place, this tower. He goes somewhere where he can get alone and see this big picture and get it all in view, and he waits. How can waiting be a unique act of faithfulness? Well, there's two reasons. Really simply. First, this waiting can give you pause to listen. We say we believe God wants to speak to us, but will we set aside time in our busy lives to listen? Second, this waiting can allow us to be watchful. We say we believe God is at work in all things, but will we look for what he's doing? What he's doing. The psalmist says that those who dwell with him, when they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. Will we dwell with the Lord, cross point? Will we wait on him right now? You see, our lament and our waiting are all part of this greater calling for all believers. And so God... Invites us to ignore our gut reaction to suffering, which is the fight or flight response. And instead, he is inviting us to lean in and practice this constant for any season, and that is faithful pursuit. See, Habakkuk is a prime example of this. When he sees the injustice, suffering, and hardship in his world, he does not compromise due to cultural pressure. He does not start a violent rebellion and go to war with God. He does not run away. When it gets hard, Habakkuk leans in. And when things get tough, he seeks God in faith. And so faithful pursuit is about seeking God in any season, especially in hard times and in the season we're in right now. And that's how the righteous live, by faith. We are seeking God in everything. Why? Well, because we always seek God, because God can always be found. This doesn't mean that we need God's input every time we buy a candy bar, no. But it should mean that we should approach God in hard times and in our trouble. You know, the writer of Hebrews encourages the people of God to lean into their relationship with Christ. And at that time, things were hard for the Jewish church, and everyone was just thinking about calling it in and laying down, going back to Judaism. And it's so interesting here in Hebrews 10, the writer says this, And I think this is a word for us today. He says, therefore, because he's been talking about Jesus a lot, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. Don't shrink back, church. Crosspoint, now is not the time to shrink back. I know it's hard, and I get it. I really do. I hear the stories all the time. I experience it in my own life. But don't shrink back. It is time to lean in. With faithful lament and waiting and pursuit. Because God is in control. He knows how it all fits together, and He is working right now if we'd only look for what He's doing. So, today, as we close, I want, I want to take an opportunity to lean in together. So, we're going to begin by bringing our focus on, and, and putting it in on the Lord. So if you, if, if you need to close your eyes or bow your head to do that, that's all awesome. If not, that's great. But what we want to do in this moment is focus on God. And we're going to talk with Him. So let's just turn our attention to the Lord. Now with our attention towards the Lord... We're going to bring our lament to him. And you can express your raw emotion to him in your internal voice in your head or in a whisper. It doesn't have to be out loud, but if you want, go ahead. This is a safe spot. And this could be a statement or a question, but make sure you lay this before the Lord this morning. How long, O Lord? Where are you? Be honest with him. You are not too much. And so now as a community, we've laid this before the Lord, I want to invite you into the process of waiting faithfully for his answer in this season. And so I want to invite you to, by leading you through two questions, let me ask you two questions. First, where is God active in your life right now? What is he doing in your world? second, I want you to think about what he's doing in your life and ask yourself, how can I lean into what he is doing? So Lord, we come before you and we lament. And so we dedicate ourselves, we we, want to seek you in all things. Yeah. Yeah. Let me pray for us before uh, I invite Amanda to close our gathering. Let's pray. Lord, yeah, we, we seek you in all things. We want to see what you're doing in our world right now. And so, Lord, we ask how long? Why us? What are you doing? And we acknowledge that we're not patient and we don't understand. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us right now. And so we ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us to always come to you in our time of trouble in any season. To teach us to wait on you in the dark night of the soul. To teach us to chase after you and always follow your lead. To seek after you. We long to see your vision come, but we lay hold to you by faith right now. And we love you for it.